Hi, this is Steve Kelly. Thanks for tuning in for the podcast of this week's Saturday Sports Talk program with Lauren Tate and myself. And a special thanks to the folks at Kirby Wealth Management Group for their sponsorship of the podcast. We hope you enjoy Saturday Sports Talk. When it comes to financial planning, most financial companies focus on your income. At Kirby Wealth Management Group, we focus on your outcome. That's why we know what it takes to succeed both on your balance sheet and in your life. It takes the right financial partner who looks at where you are now, where you want to go, and designs a financial plan to take you there. We're here to help you achieve the life that you're after, today and every day after. Focus on your financial outcome with Kirby Wealth Management Group. To get started, visit our website at justin-kirby.com. It's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400 and 93.9 FM WDWS Champaign-Urbana, where we talk all things Illini along with other area and national sports. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. Now, here are your hosts. Lauren Tate, and Steve Kelly. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program with you for the next couple of hours. As usual, on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk, phone line is open, 217-356-9397. Two weeks out from the first football game for the Fighting Illini. We'll talk about that as we move along, talk some other Big Ten football. Catch you up on baseball as well and whatever else might be on your mind as we have an open line going on for much of the show. Mr. Tate, how are you doing this morning? Doing well, doing well. Looking good, as always. <laughs> you still got those, uh, you still uh, without mirrors in your house? <laughs> yeah, well, I broke them all, yes. <laughs> got rid of them. That's the best way to go. <laughs> I really look good now at home. Yeah. If you don't, if you're afraid to, what you might see, don't look, right? <laughs> Cardinals uh, beat the Brewers last night 3-1 to one, to take a game-and-a-half lead in the National League Central Division. Cubs and the Reds didn't play after their the day after their uh, Field of Dreams game. They'll play this afternoon in Cincinnati. By the way, Steve, before you get off, it just occurred to me that, you know, that the last year they picked up Happ and, and Lester and kind of turned the team around and they were part of that 17 game winning streak and they got into the playoffs and this year it looks like they might have done the same thing with Montgomery and Quintana. We'll see. Uh, Montgomery was good again last night. He's got 11 consecutive scoreless innings uh, since joining the Cardinals through 107 or 8 pitches last night in that ball game. Yeah, but he uh yeah, he threw shutout ball and they you know, and they're getting, you know, they're usually, although that wasn't the case of the game before, but they're usually getting pretty good relief pitching. Well, they sure did in that game against no, Colorado. Well, that, that one got away. They, and, you know, we'll talk more about it. One of our guests later on today is Tom Ackerman from KMOX about uh, 1030. So we'll talk some Cardinal baseball then. But uh, Cardinals have a game and a half lead over Milwaukee in this uh you know, it's a big series. I don't think it's a crucial series, but anytime you go head-to-head with the team right in front or behind oh, yeah, you, well, it's, it's an opportunity. Yeah, it, it's kind of like the Cubs series and like the Yankees series. It's a big series, and look at the people turning out in, in St. Louis to see baseball. 45,000 again last night. 48,000 peaked yep. against the Yankees, I believe it was, and and that's just amazing how many people turning out for those games. That surprised me that um, the one Yankee game was the biggest crowd ever 
Yeah, you can see the standing room only on top. There were people all over the place. You would have thought that, you know, World Series game or even the All-Star game when it was there Mm -hmm. was not that big. White Sox beat uh, the Tigers two to nothing. White Sox three and a half games back now in their division. By the way, all that great uh, talk about uh, San Diego and how what a great team they're going to have. All of a sudden, Fernando Tatis, boom, he's out eighty games, isn't it? He's out eighty games um, the rest of this season and the first thirty-two of next season. No, uh, obviously, no postseason for him for um, a steroid situation. Infraction, yeah. I, it, he said it was to. He said it was part of a thing he took to stop to uh, to prevent ringworm or to so, evidently had a ringworm problem. And and I mean, I all I can do is believe him. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. If he didn't, that's quite a <laughs> quite an excuse or quite <laughs> yeah, somebody well, came I, up with. I wouldn't want everybody to know I had ringworm. I don't think. <laughs> well, I guess if you if you're trying to. Uh, work on your reputation a little bit, uh, and, and that was the case, you'd, you'd have to get it out there. Well, yeah, maybe it's the truth. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's too bad. But uh, it just seemed like, you know, all of a sudden, uh, San Diego would have the greatest lineup uh, in the major leagues and, uh, and at least uh, three or four deep of, of great hitters, and now they've lost uh, one of those who hadn't been with them for a while anyway. Well, San Diego, San Diego's won three straight, but they're still 16 games behind the Dodgers, who have won 11 straight. The Dodgers are 78 and 33. Awful good. So I don't think they were going to catch him, uh, catch them, with the, all those great players they have. But certainly, losing Fernando Tatis will hurt uh, the San Diego Padres. Our guest lineup today: Joey Kaufman, who writes for the Columbus Dispatch covers Ohio State football and the Big Ten. will join us coming up about uh, 9.15. Doug Bouchon from Orange and Blue News. We'll talk some Illinois football with him. Jeff Rabjohns at 10 o'clock covers Indiana athletics for pigs.com, part of the uh, 24-7 sports uh, network. And then, as I mentioned, Tom Ackerman from KMOX in St. Louis will be with us at 10.30. Phone line is open, 217-356-9397. We mentioned two weeks out for the first ball game. Today's media day over on the U of I campus. Tomorrow is family day, family fun day. You can get a chance to go over and get some pictures and autographs. We'll tell you more about that as we move along. But uh, ready or not, here comes football. Yeah, Illinois has got one last scrimmage that we have to kind of sweat out from an injury standpoint. They're going to scrimmage Monday. That'll be the final one. They'll have the rest that week and then the following week to get uh, to kind of cool down and get ready for the action. Uh, so far, and, and you know, I've got my fingers crossed. Uh, nothing serious yet on the field. Uh, no injuries yet, but you always get one in August, Steve. It's just almost every every year you have to worry about that. And then when you start playing the games, you're going to get some for sure because well, yeah. they're, they're not. Um, they're so hitting depth, and they're, depth they're becomes tackling. A problem. But, but depth, depth becomes a concern. We just don't know which piece. We don't know which positions are going to need the depth. You never know that. That's for sure. It affects just about everybody. But uh, depth is one of the concerns on this football team that we'll have going in, and you can't afford to. Uh, no, it looks it looks thin. The, the team does look thin. Although we're hearing more and more, and this is, could be coach talk. A lot of it about how uh, some of the freshmen like Tyson Rooks, for example, and Miller and 
and just several others have uh, shown enough, not the offensive linemen, they're not expecting them to play this year, or more than maybe an appearance here or there. They'll all be registered over that four-game limit thing. But uh, they've got several uh, several of the freshmen uh, that look like they might play, although we'll see. It's all talk right now. That kind of concerns me when uh, they start talking about freshmen, true freshmen, helping in football. Because can it be done? Sure. Has it been done? Absolutely. But it's much tougher to, to play oh, yeah. as a freshman in football than it is well, basketball. you never know. You see them on the field how they're going to play. Right. I mean, no matter what they show you in practice. Right. Have you um, heard from Mike White lately? We have a text here asking you about him. Well, I... You know, he had that bicycle fall mm-hmm. about, what, that's been almost a month, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been three weeks three, a month, three, yeah. And, uh, and, and he fractured his arm. And uh, otherwise, I mean, I talked to him. He seemed to be okay, but uh, I asked him if he wanted to come on with us, and he said he'd rather put it off for a while. So that's the answer to the question. I mean, yes, I've talked to him, uh, and he seems to be okay, but... Uh, he did have a fall. And, yes, he's on our radar to come on the air when he feels up to it. We certainly had him in mind with the uh, with the uh, Big Ten expansion situation and how Cal might work into that and yep. get his thoughts on that. And we'll, yep. hopefully we'll still do that at some point. Illinois, if you pay attention to um, college football lines, one uh, book that I looked at has Illinois a 10-point favorite mm-hmm. over Wyoming. And I think I looked to, to the next week, and they're about a five-and-a-half or six-point underdog to Indiana. Yeah. That's, uh, that's disappointing in the sense that you would think Illinois would have a little more respect for that after going five and seven. And Indiana has lost its eight consecutive games, its they last went, eight games. <clears> they went lost. two and ten last year. Yeah, and they, they just basically crumbled at the end. They were beaten by, you know, I'm, I'm going get, to get this all wrong, but they lost by like 30 points to uh, – Rutgers. I mean, they were they were they were hammered in a couple of those late games where they just didn't show up. Um, now they've got all season to prepare, and they were expected to have a good team last year, and it didn't happen. Maybe the they weren't not, not so much as expected this year. Maybe they'll be better. Part of what happened to them that that last year was after the first two games they had a streak of playing about six or eight ranked teams, mm-hmm. and uh, they were actually. Ranked to begin the season. Well, they were, yeah. yeah. They were mad because they weren't ranked higher. Right. They were yeah. mad because they weren't ranked higher than Iowa. Then Iowa blew them out in mm-hmm. one of the early games. Yeah, that was like thirty-four to six or something. Right. But uh, we'll see how that goes, and that uh, that's coming up. That's Indiana's opener against uh, Illinois coming up. In and early they're sitting September. there at home, and they're 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 going to be secretive as the devil. They're not. We, Illinois is not going to know what they're going to do. They've got some coaching changes. They got some personnel changes. Penix has transferred. Uh, the quarterback, they've got a new quarterback from uh, Missouri. I think Bozilak is his name. And uh, he played for Missouri last year, and he'll be playing for Indiana this year. And we've got a quarterback that played for Syracuse, and he's, now he's going <laughs> to play for Illinois. And we've got another one that played for Rutgers, and now he's going to play for Illinois. Well, Illinois has got quite a, uh, quite a history of transfer quarterbacks, don't we? Well, we do. And, and we've got quite a history. Even of before the transfer an portal. Incredible history of failure at, by high school quarterbacks. Right. I mean, incredible. If you just look at it, I'm going to do a story on that one of these days. I've done it before, but I mean, it's just they don't. Our freshman quarterbacks, I mean, our our incoming uh, high school players, uh, they are just they're gone by the second or third year, almost you know, almost all. 
Well, you think of two that weren't, and that would be Shiel House and Juice Williams. Well, yeah, now you're right going off. back a ways. But well, I am. Since but, then, that, that's... But, but that, even before that, that mm-hmm. I mean, you, you relied on transfers a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Mike White did, but if you go back into the, you know, the yeah, 80s. Yeah, but you go, you go there, you with those Wilson three guys. and Eason, and then he had several others, although Trudeau was not a junior college transfer. Right. But... Jeff George was a, mm-hmm. a transfer. Yeah, John Butcher, a little bit later oh, on, yeah. transferred. Yeah, from Iowa, yeah. yeah. A lot of those. By the way, I mentioned the uh, Fighting Illini Family Day. If you're interested in that, that is tomorrow, Sunday, 5.30 to 6.30 at Memorial Stadium. You can get autographs, enjoy inflatables, games, and much more. 7 o'clock, there's a movie night. And there's a free popcorn bucket for the first 500 fans if you want to oh, go. Oh, boy. Ed Bond will be there if he's around. He's a popcorn, he, he's a popcorn sh- expert. I bet Bruce Weber shows up for that. For the popcorn? <laughs> he's a popcorn guy. Is he? That's uh, tomorrow, August 14th, 530 to 6.30 at Memorial Stadium. It's 9-12, Illini Pella, Saturday Sports Talk. We're off and running. We'll take our first time out. When we come back, we'll talk Big Ten football with Joey Kaufman from the Columbus Dispatch. Feel free to join us as well, and we're back after this. The Pella Window Showroom in Champaign specializes in windows and doors. Illini Pella can help you select the right window and door for your project, whether it's for replacements, remodeling, or new construction. Right now, they ask that you plan further ahead to allow more time to get your windows and doors in stock. Labor and material shortages are causing some extended lead times. Illini Pella, 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign. PellaofChampaign.com. It is 9.15, a lot of fellow Saturday sports talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly, and we're here with you until 11 o'clock this morning with the phone line open, 217-356-9397. Illinois opens its football season, as you know, two weeks from today in a week zero game against Wyoming at Memorial Stadium at 3 o'clock. The rest of the Big Ten gets going at, well, Northwestern and uh, Nebraska play that same day, too, in Dublin. But uh, the rest of the teams get uh, going in week one, which is three weeks from today. One of those teams is the Ohio State Buckeyes. Let's go to Columbus, where Joey Kaufman is covering the Buckeyes for the Columbus Dispatch. Good morning, Joey. How are you? Uh, good morning. I'm doing all right. We're, I think, only three Saturdays away now, so football season's uh, inching closer for the Buckeyes. We're talking about a marquee opening game, huh? Ohio State and Notre Dame at night at the the Horseshoe. Yeah, it's it's as big of a season opening game for Ohio State than than they've had in in some time. With with Notre Dame being fifth in the coaches' poll, Ohio State's number two. It's it's going to be the first time that they've played a, a top ten matchup in Week One since 1986, since they played Alabama in a kickoff classic uh, back in the Meadowlands. So it, it's it's rare they've had this type of marquee game right out of the gate. We'll talk more about that game uh, as we move along here, but I wanted to get uh, your thoughts on, among other things, the uh, the Big Ten expansion. And you're a USC graduate. You covered uh, Southern Cal for uh, the papers out in L.A. before moving to Columbus to cover Ohio State. What were your thoughts uh, when you heard that news about Southern Cal and UCLA coming into the Big Ten? I thought somebody was pulling my leg. I mean, it, it felt so strange and 
I think it was largely, I don't, I think it took most people by surprise. It wasn't something I really had on my radar. I don't think it was something people largely expected because I, I get that conferences have, have, have kept expanding and getting bigger and super leagues were inevitable. But I think you look at a lot of the, the moves that have been made over the years is largely they tried to keep some semblance of geography with the Big Ten expanded with Penn State. Pennsylvania and Ohio border, they, and then, then Maryland and Rutgers, those were bordering states as well. Every, every, every expansion move was, it was, in, was from one contiguous state to the next, and, and adding USC and UCLA, uh, you really flew to, you're flying 2,000 miles away. So there's, there's no semblance of, of geography there. Well, Joy, this is Lauren. Uh, what does he think? What is it? What do the people in Columbus feel about the other sports? You've got a tremendous uh, program there at Ohio State with many sports, many more than, for instance, Illinois, probably 10 more in Illinois. Uh, and that's a long way to go for, for a tennis event or a wrestling match. What, what are the thoughts there about that? I, I think that is a, certainly an issue that, that Gene Smith, the athletic director, has talked about just the fact that a lot of these Olympic sports, like baseball, softball, you play 50-plus games in a season, and what's it going to mean for going out to the West Coast? I think they view it as, in some ways, they're excited about it because USC and UCLA both have good Olympic sport programs. UCLA has a great softball program. Both of those schools have historically been very good in swimming. Both have produced a lot of Olympians. So, it's going to add a lot of miles to the to interconference competition, but maybe you maybe you schedule one fewer non-conference game that's it's far out. I think there's some things you can you can be creative with scheduling for Ohio State and 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 a lot of the schools that are around them, like Michigan too, because I think in the past you look at some of their non-conference schedules they, they have made trips out to the west coast before it was just a non-conference game now it'll be a conference game and maybe you remove one of those non-conference ga- west coast games and replace it with a, a west coast conference game so i think they they see some excitement and the opportunity to play some some really high level uh, olympic sports programs you know most of these decisions are made on uh the, the market value the tv value and i i'm i'm wondering why, since you're from L.A., what, what's the, why would they have two schools from L.A. And rather, as opposed to, let's just say, U, USC and maybe Stanford or maybe Washington? Uh, why would you have two from the same place? I think it, one, it gives them travel partner. I think USC is the school they really wanted because that's the school that's the, that's the historic blue blood in football. And I think by adding UCLA, it gives USC a, a travel partner and somebody along the, that line. I think, too, uh, I think UCLA is as big a brand on the West Coast as Oregon or Washington or Stanford. I think you look at the the, the men's basketball program, and a lot of these decisions are made for football. But I, I do think that is a, a draw as well in terms of, of the way they can sell the media rights package for, for basketball. I mean, UCLA is like Kentucky or Kansas or Indiana, and I think that was appealing to have UCLA and Indiana as a as a conference game. You have the school of John Wooden, you have the school of Bobby Knight. So I think UCLA's basketball pedigree helped them, and I think UCLA's potential to be 
good in football, and I think it's still a recognizable football brand, especially, I mean, there are not a lot of other premier football programs in the West Coast outside of USC, because Oregon never won a national title. You have to go a lot of years back for Washington, and UCLA's in the same boat. You have to go a lot of years back before they won a national title. One of the the problems, though, I guess, and it's being... uh there's a complaint from the from the uh, legislature, from the governor, from from uh, those people who are concerned about uh, the fact that UCLA is leaving Cal and leaving the Cal system uh, in favor of uh, you know this this move to the Big Ten, and uh, uh, maybe they're leaving Cal in the wake. I think that's definitely a concern that people in California have had, and I think it's one of the reasons the move is probably in California now is universally. Uh, popular is because USC and UC or UCLA, excuse me, and Cal, UC Berkeley are are part of the same University of California system, have been in part of the same league since the the 20s. So you have to go back a hundred years, and it's the same issue with USC and Stanford. Those four California schools had really been, really kind of had this this annual these annual matchups. They've they've had the same rivalries for a lot of years. When the Pac-10 expanded to the Pac-12 there was a lot of concern that the schools wouldn't play each other every year. And even though they were in opposite divisions, the Pac-12 North and the Pac-12 South, uh, they ended up having having them on the schedule every year as, as permanent rivalries. So I, I think that is something that people, especially in the, in the Bay Area, San Francisco, Oakland, who were used to seeing those two schools in lockstep with the two Southern California schools, I think that's a disappointment for them. Talking to Joey Kaufman from the Columbia uh, Columbus Dispatch over in Ohio, covers the Buckeyes. How much Ohio State practice do you get to see? Well, I can count. I can count the minutes on a hand. <laughs> Not a lot. Uh, we we've seen one full practice last Thursday, and we saw a couple practice periods a week ago. So it's not a ton, but we, but we caught some glimpses uh, Thursday, a full ninety plus minutes or so. Well, give us uh, your impressions of this team. Certainly, a, a top five preseason uh, ranking for the Buckeyes. Uh, they've got a little um, revenge factor for Michigan down the down the road coming up in in Big Ten play. But uh, we mentioned that tough opener against Notre Dame. This is uh, kind of turned into a, a reload situation for uh, Ryan Day and the Buckeyes. Yeah, it's it's a team that I think you look at the personnel and you size up who's on the roster, and it's not a surprise that they are preseason number two and, and probably the best team position to challenge Alabama because you go up and down the depth chart on both sides of the ball, and there are a lot of guys who have been around and a lot of guys who have a lot of experience, especially on offense with C.J. Stroud back, Travion Henderson, their running back, Jackson Smith, and the Jigba, Marvin Harrison Jr., who caught three touchdowns. In the Rose Bowl in his first career start, you have three, three of the five returning offensive linemen are back. You're really deep on the defensive line. You have kind of a mixture of some guys who have been around the program for a few years now, guys like Zach Harrison, a former five-star recruit from, from Lewis Center uh, just outside of Columbus. Then you have some some younger guys like Jack Sawyer and JT Tuimaloa who are, who are coming along as sophomores. I think the biggest concern where you look at Ohio State and where could they run into issues this year if they're going to make a, a deep playoff run and really contend for a national championship is going to be a cornerback because it's a position they, they did not begin preseason camp with a lot of depth. They only had six uh, returning scholars, six scholarship cornerbacks, 
and a couple of those guys have been have been banged up. Uh, Jordan Hancock, who's basically their third corner, uh, missed a couple practices, and Cam Brown, who's projected to be the starter opposite Denzel Burke at the at the outside corner spot. Denzel Burke was a, really a breakout freshman, but Cam Brown's been a guy with who's a fifth year senior, but had he's had injury history. So I think if there's a, an issue, it could be just managing that position over the course of what you want to be a 15-game season. There was a change in the defensive coordinator at Ohio State. Um, Do you expect the defense to to look significantly different? And if so, how how so? It'll probably look not that different from last year in terms of the alignment. They're going to largely play four down linemen, about two linebackers, five defensive backs. And and that was the base formation last year with, with Ryan Day, Kerry Combs, and Matt Barnes running things. And Knowles runs a similar 4-2-5. He's going to have some, some twists on that. He's, he's known for kind of having an intricate defense and really kind of trying to present a lot of looks. One thing you'll do is instead of not always using a fourth down lineman, you'll have what he calls a jack position, which is a stand-up pass rusher. So instead of having four guys with their – each one with their hand in the dirt. One guy will, will stand up and play a little off the, the line of scrimmage. It looks like Jack Sawyer could get the first crack at, the, at that Jack position. So he does some things like that. His defense is known for being very aggressive. They were second in the FBS last year in sacks at Oklahoma State. So he, they want to be a little more aggressive and get after quarterbacks and create turnovers. And they have high expectations for the defensive side of the ball. Ryan Day has talked about wanting this to be a top-10 defense. Jim Knowles said he wants it to be a top five defense. Well, last year they were 59th in the FBS in total defense. So they do need to make a lot of strides. But I think if they could at least have some things where they could rely on, like forcing some takeaways and, and creating some pressure and getting sacked, even if you're giving up some yardage, to, to create some opportunities like that would, would give them a big lift. Joy, uh, as you look forward beyond next year, what do you see happening division-wise? Do you see uh, two divisions, or do you see just one league? I I would think they're going to stand pat until USC and UCLA come into the league and then figure out what you want to do divisions-wise because it it wouldn't seem to make a lot of sense to scrap divisions and then then try to to, to reorient with with USC and UCLA in the league. I'm sure – they would like to do something different and, and scrap divisions or, or, re, or tweak the structure in some fashion or create pods or, or something like that. Just because the Big Ten championship game, which is such a valuable property for, for them, and, and so many decisions are made in consultation with the, the television networks, the, those games have been not competitive. The Big Ten East has won every year. They've played that, especially last year, just Michigan – making Iowa look non-competitive in that game. Ohio State certainly had its way with, with teams in Indianapolis. I think they would like that game to be a better matchup. And even if it does away with some of the tradition, like if you have Ohio State and Michigan in a rematch, I'm sure I'm sure Fox would love that. Do you see um, the Big Ten expansion continuing? And if so, who would some of the likely candidates be in your mind of what you're hearing? I kind of think they're going to stand pat for a little bit. I don't know how if they're going to rush out and immediately do something next summer, but it feels like inevitably they're going to have to, to grow to the West Coast. But I think that, I think for now you want to wait and see what Notre Dame does and if you can convince Notre Dame to, to join the league and, and give that a little bit of time because that's such a big fish if you can reel them in. 
And I think that's, that's largely what things would come down to. And if you need to sweeten the pot for Notre Dame and, and add Stanford in the league as well, if that helps, I think you you do that. I think that's that's one school that'll be interesting because there, there are a lot of people in the Big Ten. The Big Ten presidents ultimately have the sign-off who like the academics that, that USC and UCLA brought in the league and, and that prestige. So I think you look at some of the West Coast schools like Stanford or, or Cal, which would do a lot to – their academic brand and and it may be washington and oregon but you could have done that i think this summer too so i think there's going to be a little waiting and, and seeing from the big 10 as as far as expansion goes when does ohio state pay back notre dame for this game they come back to, to south bend next year okay uh, next and you September. have they got any further game are you familiar with notre dame's schedule after that i mean as far as the number of big 10 schools that they're playing i know they've played a, a you know a couple virtually every year for years well they've i feel like they've been playing fewer of those games since they, they've become a part of the acc they used mm-hmm. to play purdue and michigan state more consistently i i have not looked at their future schedules but it, it feels like a lot of those games have, have been done away with just because they're playing more acc teams like clemson and, and florida state and 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 all and as due to their partial membership and they've ended up prioritizing uh, Stanford and, and SC and, and Navy and, and those those traditional rivals over uh, Purdue, Michigan State, Michigan. That's Joey Kaufman from the Columbus Dispatch. Appreciate your time. Good to catch up with you. We'll do it again soon. Yeah, good talk with you. You bet. Thanks for having me. Yep, take care. 9.30, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. We'll take a break. We'll talk some Illinois football. Doug Bouchon from Orange and Blue News, Rivals.com, is in the studio. We'll chat with him and take your calls. If you'd like to join us after this, stay with us. Nine thirty-two. as my fellow Saturday Sports Talk continues. With Lauren Tate, I'm Steve Kelly. Doug Bouchon is with us from Orange and Blue News. Going to talk some Illini football. Doug, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. You guys get up really early in the morning for this show. Well, we do. <laughs> we're we're kind of used to it, I guess, by now. But uh, every week it's the same. But Well, it's not the same. Once football starts, we get up even earlier some yeah, days yeah. for the show on those early kickoffs. Those 11 o'clock games to us up to 8 o'clock. Well, two weeks from today at 3 o'clock, it'll be Illinois and Wyoming. And today, as we mentioned, is Media Day over on uh, the U of I campus at Memorial Stadium. And tomorrow is a Family Fun Day for fans. Two weeks from today, we kick it off. And let's talk about some of the things you've learned about this team uh, through the fall practice, given the fact that uh, not many of the practices are open to the media. We kind of go on what we're told by the coaches afterwards. But uh, give us a rundown. What are, what are some things you like and maybe what are some of the concerns? As you said, limited viewing, but we did see one complete practice uh, when BTN was here. But, you know, I think on the good side, I think the the uh, passing game is going to be a little bit better this year. Um, Tommy DeVito, the quarterback they got from Syracuse, uh, is a little bit of an upgrade. He could, you know, he can run around and make some make some plays. Uh, you know, he's not a guy that's going to be a, a an oak tree back in the pocket. He, you know, he he can use his feet, makes make some plays. Uh, the defense, I think, as long as Ryan Walters is the defensive coordinator here. The the defense is going to be competent. So I, I would expect them to be a middle of the pack or even higher this year in the Big Ten like they were last year. Uh, the things that concern you, I think, are first the depth. You know, that's, uh, his first year here, Brett Belima d- uh, decided to keep a lot of those kids that got their extra COVID year, and those guys are gone now. So, it's, you know, 30-plus uh, 
kids dropped off the roster and uh, there's the the starters I think on both sides of the ball are pretty good but if you get down into the twos and the threes uh, the de- the depth is is something that you're a little bit concerned about um, I, you know and overall team speed and playmaking ability too this the wide receiver core uh, they have some they have some big guys they have some possession receivers but not a lot of uh, home run threats uh, other than Isaiah Williams who's who's probably going to have a really good year for him. Well, you talked about the passing game, and it needs to improve. I think everybody knows about uh, the capabilities of the Illinois running game, but if you can't pass, <laughs> the other teams know that too, and they'll load up against that run. And so with that in mind, I think uh, some people besides Isaiah Williams need to step up and uh, carry some of that load. Oh, there's no doubt. they got to find a couple of playmakers in the wide receiver core. Um, you know, maybe one of the tight ends, Tip Riemann or Luke Ford, have have a breakout year from tight, the tight end spot. But they don't have a lot. They don't really have a, a deep threat per se. Um, and like you said, teams start to load up. I think if if you look deep into the stats from last year, Illinois faced more defenders in the box than any other team in the Big Ten. Uh, and they they watched the game against Penn State, the nine overtime game with the barge formation, right. and, and uh, they start shutting down a little bit. So they're going to have to move the ball through the air. They're going to have to make plays on on third down. And I think Tommy DeVito can do that, and he can pick up some big third downs uh, with his feet. Well, I, I looked it up yesterday, and if you go back the last five years, since West Lunt graduated, Illinois has completed about 51% of its passes. That will not cut it. You need to get up closer to 60%, which DeVito has done at Syracuse. He is, He's had a year where... You know, over 2,000 yards, and, and I th- believe it was 56 or 57% right in there, completions. And the importance of, of the percentage is keeping the offense going so that you, you've got a good running game, but you just have to insert passes to keep them honest. Yeah, I mean, you have, you have to, uh, um, like you said, Tommy DeVito in 2019, that's kind of the year that you'd love to see him have here, where mm-hmm. he did complete almost 60% of his passes, threw for over 2,000 yards. But I think some injuries... Um, slowed him down a little bit, and his, his career kind of tailed off after after that, and that's why he entered the portal and why he's at Illinois. But uh, you know, it, passing efficiency uh, is the number you want to look at. Illinois is not going to need to throw, f- have a quarterback throw for four thousand yards, but they got to have one who's efficient, who has a good third down uh, uh, efficiency rating, uh, and uh, be able to m- be able to move the ball when you have to, and be able to come back in games if you get behind. Um, you know, last year they, you get behind in a game, and it's really difficult to to catch up. And and uh, I think they have a little bit better chance this year. We talk about the offensive line like it's going to be comparable to last year. Is it really? I wonder if it is because we don't know much about those two transfers at guard, and and we haven't seen Slaughter play. Uh, he's been injured all of last year, and uh, you know we're, we're we got a center that uh, has never played center before in his life. That's right, uh, and. Uh, Pilsen, you're talking about Alex Pil- uh, Pilsen, but uh, that's probably the one position where they're a little, still a little bit concerned, still looking for the guy. And, and there's a there's a, a battle going on in training camp. There's, there's still a little bit of a battle between Jordan Slaughter and Zy Chrysler at right guard. But uh, I really I really like what I, what I've seen from Isaiah Adams, mm-hmm. JUCO transfer, big kid, moves really well. Uh, uh, you know, uh, he's he's a bulldozer. That's what Brad Bolima likes. It's, they like the running game, so I, I think he's going to be good. I don't see a huge drop off on the O line, uh, but it's a big change, obviously, with Vidarian Lowe and Doug Kramer uh, off to the NFL. 
Doug Bouchon with us from Orange and Blue News. You cover recruiting uh, quite well. Um, give me an update on how you feel about that. It doesn't really it doesn't affect this season, obviously, on the field, but uh, they had a couple of key uh, decommits here in the last uh, week or 10 days. Your thoughts on the way recruiting is going? I think if you ask Brett Bellamy, he wants more playmakers. Um, you know, uh, the, the decommit you're talking about, Jamarian Harkless, defensive tackle from uh, Kentucky, Lexington, Kentucky, that, that was a big loss for him. He, he was one of the headliners in the class. He's probably going to end up in the in the SEC at a place like Auburn or Kentucky or Georgia. Uh, you know, a kid that a plug and play kid who's physically ready to come in and play. And a defensive line is such a huge position to recruit to because not a lot of teams in the Big Ten are getting SEC type D tackles like Harkless was. So, you know, I uh, it's the dead period right now, so they don't talk a lot of recruiting. But I think if you asked uh, Coach Bolima, he would say they need to do a little bit better. Have you had any conversations with? Uh, your contemporaries out in Laramie, Wyoming. Uh, is there a rivals uh, group out there? And and if so, what what have you learned about the Cowboys? There is, you know, I think that it's there's similar teams uh, in the fact that they both lost a lot of graduating seniors. Wyoming only returns three starters, and that's uh, counting both sides of the ball. Uh, they have a and like Illinois, they have a good running back kid named Swen, who's a, uh, rushed for almost 800 yards last year. Uh, talented kid, he's on the NFL radar. Uh, they also brought in a transfer quarterback. You know, um, they weren't weren't happy with the passing game. And uh, Craig Bull, who's the coach out there, uh, he likes he's very similar to Bielman in that he wants to establish uh, the running game. So, two teams who want to kind of do the same thing. Uh, I don't think the game the game's not going to have a lot of national interest, but I think for the fans, it'll be an interesting game to watch. The quarterback you mentioned from Utah State is Peasley. How what do you know about him? He. he He's big, and Did he's he at, play a lot at Utah State. I don't think he played a lot, but he's uh, he's considered a dual threat guy. He's bit, he's like six four, two forty, something like that. And uh, you know he's he he's a hard guy to tackle. Um, he stands tall in the pocket. He's a good athlete. He's gonna he's gonna take off and run the ball. Um, and, you know he's the kind of and I think he's the kind of quarterback that's given Illinois some trouble over the last several years. A guy who could a guy who can move. Well, I just wonder, uh, has, can Illinois get a pass rush going against them? I mean, they had two, they lose two awfully good defensive ends. At least at the end of last year, Isaiah Gay and Carney were playing terrific, and now they're gone. Uh, I, I've got a lot of confidence in Seth Coleman. I just don't know where we go from there. Yeah, Seth Coleman is a guy we've been waiting to break out since he got here. So, and I think he's he's uh, definitely a better situation in the as a rush linebacker in the three four than he was trying to play with his hand on the ground as an undersized mm-hmm. uh, defensive end. A very athletic kid. He's really good in space. I, th- I think the, the question with him is, can he get off of blocks? Uh, he's, you know, he's not a huge kid. He has put on weight. And he looks, he, physically he looks great, but uh, he, he hasn't been a kid who can, who can uh, bulldoze over people and, and uh, bull rush people. He's more of a guy, a speed rusher on the outside. And then the other side, um, at the buck position, Ezekiel Holmes. Uh, we were just talking yesterday about him. Really good-looking kid on the hoof, a, a tall, a long and lanky, can be can be disruptive. And they're look they're looking for him to have a breakout year too. Have you uh, taken the schedule yourself and kind of gone down it and uh, win loss win loss? And if so, what what are you looking at? What what do you see? You know the inter- the inter- interesting thing about you have a tendency before the season starts, to look at 
winnable games mm-hmm. and then assume that they're going to win all the winnable games. Mm-hmm. And then you start coming out with numbers like six and seven and right. eight, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work out that way. We know that they, they, you end up losing a game you're supposed to win and maybe winning a game you're supposed to lose happens every year. Uh, and uh, we've come up with a over under 5.5. Uh, 5.5. I'd heard so. 4.5. <laughs> rivals was going a little higher. Huh? A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, uh, I like the coaching of this. I think that's a an X factor for him. Uh, and Barry Lenny Jr., who they brought in as an offensive coordinator, is a uh, uh, he's proven it. He had a you know it's scoring offense last year at UTSA. He had a top ten scoring offense. I think the total offense was in like a thirty in the country. And for for a smaller team like UTSA, that's pretty good. I'd say and, uh, they're balanced. Uh, I think they're gonna. They're going to um, run a combination of routes that's going to get some of these receivers a little bit more space uh, for Tommy DeVito to throw to them. So, you know, but pre- you're always optimistic in the preseason. Everybody is. The fans are. They're looking forward to the season. They're hoping for the best. Um, but when with all those losses and uh, kind of a rebuilding season, it's tough to predict a bowl game right now. I wonder when Bill really decided to make the change on offense coordinators because – he probably looked at it at, at the conclusion of that UTSA game, the San Antonio game, and thought their guy was better than our guy, <laughs> and so he went he went and got their guy. Well, I, I give the guy credit because, like a lot of coaches uh, who are holdouts around the country in, in college football, including Nick Saban, the you know the arguably the best coach who's ever been in the game, they they were they were holdouts when it comes to the spread and throwing the ball around. But um, they're doing it pretty well now at Alabama. So, and Brett Belima is not the same coach that he was when he was at Wisconsin. He's, it, this is not going to be a Wisconsin, uh, you know, early two thousands type of uh, three yards in a cloud of dust offense. So, you know, he knew Barry Lunny. There was a previous relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, he knew the type type of offense that he runs, a more modern type of offense. Uh, you know, outside zone running scheme, um, a passing game where you get the ball out quickly and try to move the ball quickly. And uh, in an up-tempo type of offense, so uh, Bielma has changed with the times. And those three years in the NFL did him a lot of good, and I think the offense is going to be better. Do you have much uh, contact? Uh, I would guess you do uh, over the course of a, a year with high school coaches around the state, and that was one of the things that uh, Brett Bielma mentioned right from the get-go, from uh, the time he was hired, of of getting those relations back. And do you think that's working? Yeah, you know he does a good job of that. Uh, his team in the recruiting office does a good job of it. Um, he does a good job of it personally. He gets personally involved with them and gets mm-hmm. to know guys. Uh, you don't always see that from head coaches uh, uh, at a school like Illinois, but he, you know, he made it a priority to to uh, get to know the the coaches around the Chicago area and St. Louis and and even downstate. And I think it resonates with guys. They're going to have to do some winning before you start getting the best kids out of all those schools, but the relationships are there. Why is head coach at the University of Illinois such a difficult assignment? I mean, it's just been really tough to get. There's been moments, obviously, over the years that uh, you've had good seasons, but it's a difficult nut well, to crack. Let me just say, for uh, the first thing that comes to my head is you, you're talking about different coaches. We've had too many different right. co- How many different coaches has Iowa had? How many different coaches has Wisconsin had? And, you know, there's just a big difference there. Continuity is overwhelmingly important in recruiting. Not just that, uh, establishing an identity. And yeah. you, you look at Ferenc, 
You know what I was going to yeah, be. You know exactly. And he recruits to it. You look at Wisconsin. They've gone through some different coaches, but it's still Barry Alvarez's you the Wisconsin program. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, they know what they're going to do. They know the kind of type of player they want, and they recruit to it. What, what you face in the state of Illinois is, and with the University of Illinois is, a, is kind of a – uh, difficult situation recruiting wise. You want it, you want to get kids from the state of Illinois, but then you also want to get some speed, uh, um, you know, from from Texas and Florida and places like mm-hmm. that. You know, we have you have to go all the way back. I think uh, to the beginning of Ron Zook's era to see a, a head coach here who had a, a recruiting philosophy that kind of that worked for him cons- consistently at the beginning. At the end, it tailed off, but but the. You have you face a question. Do I want to focus on the state of Illinois, where ne- you're not necessarily getting the skilled players that can run, or do I want to recruit nationwide? And, and they go through a process there, and they never and they never really seem to figure it out. And they never and if you're only here three, four, five years, what kind of identity can you establish? And can you recruit to that that identity? And, and uh, they really, when you think of Illinois football, you don't really know. Uh, what to think of it as far as an identity and a playing style. Well, once upon a time, you know, you, you had players that enrolled and were ineligible as freshmen, and then they played sophomore, junior, senior, and transfers were very infrequent. Now if you go down through the Illinois lineup, I mean, transfers are everywhere, whether it's, you know, whether it's a tailback with the quarterback, I mean, receivers with Hightower and Thompson, you got – I mean, it just every single two of the top three guards are are transfers. Um, it's there. I don't know if if you can be long term successful doing that, but that's what the, that's what they're doing because they're they're basically trying to replace what they can't get in high school with with uh, with transfers. Yeah, I mean, what what I would say about that is it shows you two things. One, they need to do a better job recruiting high school talent and and developing them. But how do you recruit the top high school talent? When we just talked to Joy Kaufman from Ohio State, they're going to get. They don't recruit. They just they accept. I mean, they don't. They, you know, it's 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 impossible to break that uh, that rhythm that's going in terms of all the all the good players want to go to the same schools. You got to have. I think you got to have that one breakout season, right, where you mm-hmm. surprise everybody. I think that's right. You know, and uh, but. Um, Re- recruiting wise, uh, I think Coach Underwood on the basketball side maybe set the blueprint. I know it's completely different because it's thirteen players versus eighty-five scholarship players, but he figured out early on that you have that you have to have a plan B, and <clears throat> and uh, the plan B. I don't think the plan B can be let's wait until m- March and try to get some people out of the transfer portal. I think you have to have a plan B when a guy like Jamarian Harkless decommits. Who's who's up next? Who do you go get? And I, I don't. I, they haven't put together those kind of lists. I don't, I don't think yet. And they're 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 thinking about the transfer portal as a fallback plan. But but uh, Underwood figured it out. You have to have the next guy up, and it worked out for him. And now he's getting some of the top kids. Is the transfer portal adversely affecting the high school player? It affects their opportunities. Yeah. Definitely, especially at the Power Five level, mm-hmm. for sure. You're you're seeing kids that end up having to go FCS. Uh, the old one double A, or you've seen a kid that have to go to a group of five school instead of a power five school. So yeah, I mean it, it's uh, it's a lot like um, pro sports where the influx of of uh, draft talent uh, 
impacts the players. Well, I haven't counted them, but we must have close to 20, don't we? Transfers? If you have I, haven't junior, count, I haven't counted them either. There's junior just a college significant and, number. And regular transfers. And, and if, they, if you got 80 to 85 and 20 of them, obviously those, they're taking some high school positions. Yeah. You, you see some kids that um, maybe a high two-star, low three-star kid on Rivals uh, that you think, oh, this kid's a, you know, he's a probably a borderline uh, Big Ten player, and they're ended up they're ending up in the MAC or you know something like that. And what they're thinking is, with the way it is now, they're thinking, okay, I'm going to go to the MAC or I'll go to an FCS school like Illinois State or something. I'll play really well, and then I'll jump into the portal and and go to the uh, higher level. That I mean, that that's how they're approaching it. They're making business decisions. Um, well, that's of another it, good point. We don't know how the NIL is affecting all this recruiting. We just don't know. But we do know that some schools are arranging to pay all the football players. Now, Lauren, you know that it's not supposed to be used as a uh, recruiting <laughs> enticement, right? I understand right? that. <laughs> I understand. But, but if, I'm, if I'm in the next class and they're already paying all the football players twenty five dollars or $35,000 apiece, I think I'm going to get mine when I get it there. No doubt. You know what? NIL on the football side, really, I think uh, there's not as much money individually as there is on the basketball side because there's so many players. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I, if you're a top talent, especially a quarterback, you can make a, you can make a lot of money. But I, the uh, but the other kids, uh, they're not going to make a ton of money. They're not going to sign these big big huge NIL deals. So uh, I don't I don't know how that's affecting the. Transfer the transfers. I know the wide receiver from Pitt. It affected him in a, a significant way when he bolted and went out to USC. But uh, I think that's just maybe the the top players, the top talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most of the kids are, are not getting a ton of money from NIL. How has your job changed over the last five, six, seven years with Rivals dot com? Well, that's a good question. Uh, in the well, the biggest way probably changed is this market. Um, there's so many outlets to compete against. Though. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's for Illinois. You think Illinois is? Um, they're not a football powerhouse, right? Uh, but they're so active uh, on social media, all the all of the um, uh, outlets, and they're popping up all over the place. You know, Illini guys. We have now. We have Jeremy Warner's two four seven side. We have Riding Illini. We have Illini board. Uh, so that competition, I think, is what has changed my job the most. You have to do a lot more. Uh, stuff like this, come on the radio and talk fewer about radio, a few, uh, fewer <laughs> newspapers, and uh, but but more coverage. That's right. That's right. And uh, a lot of and a lot of that coverage is free, and we're and we're a pay site, so it's a challenge for us, you know, to get people to pay uh, ninety nine dollars a year or t- or ten dollars a month. Uh, so it's highly it's highly competitive. That's probably how it's changed the most. Uh, and there's a lot there's a lot more information available to the fans now than there has ever been. Oh yeah, my, yeah, you know, way more. Yes. Uh, Recruiting-wise, I remember back in the day I used to be a recruiting junkie uh, on basketball, and you had to wait for the newspapers to come out see who to see who Illinois signed. Or you had to get Street and Smith Magazine, or you had to get Basketball Times uh, or something like that. And now you can just get on the Internet and click on it, and uh, there's all the Illinois targets. That's who they're recruiting all the way down to the eighth graders. Yeah, you so can find all. That can be a little misleading <laughs> when you see 40 names there and you want, and 30 and 25 of them have already announced where they're going somewhere well, else. There's uh, there's offers and then there's committable off- offers, yeah. right? I mean, and we <laughs> don't know the difference, but you know the difference. But uh, I don't, you know, don't always know when you see an offer, you don't know whether it's serious or not. That's right. 
So how many people do you have working with you? Uh, we have three right now. John Supini, who you guys all know. He was mm-hmm. a longtime beat writer uh, for, uh, for the Springfield um, uh, newspaper. And then uh, Alec, Alec Bussey, who just, he just graduated from Illinois. He was our intern. But we've kept him on now for the football season. Does a, Alec does a great job. High-energy kid. He does his own podcast. And, uh, I, you know, I'm biased, of course, but uh, uh, Soup is one of the better writers covering Illinois. He's done it for so long. Uh, he's got a... a, a a perspective of someone who's covered the program all the way back, you know, uh, to the '90s. Uh, excellent columnist, and he he writes uh, maybe maybe seven, eight, sometimes ten columns for us a, a month, and does a great job for us. Doug Bouchon, Orange and Blue News, Illinois dot com. That's how you find him, and uh, there's a lot of stuff on there if you're interested in Illinois football sports. That's one of the places to be. Thanks for your time. Anytime. Thank you very much. It is 9.55. We'll take a break here and wrap up hour number one and begin hour number two of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk after this. Stay with us. My name is Denise Martin. I'm a diehard Illini fan and admittedly love the Cubs. When it comes to financial planning, most financial companies ask, what's your salary? At Kirby Wealth Management Group, we ask, what's your story? We know building the right financial plan means looking at more than money. That's why we start by asking the right questions, listening to what matters most to you, then guiding you every step of the way to help you live the life you want now and years from now. Call us today at 217-355-9390. It's the second hour of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400 and 93.9 FM WDWS Champaign-Urbana. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. Here again are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. 10 o'clock, WDWS 93.9 FM, Champaign-Urbana. Hour number two of Illini Palace Saturday Sports Talk. We do have an open line if you want to jump in here. 217-356-9397. Nice Saturday here, 63 degrees. Perfect day for golf, isn't it? Perfect day for a lot of things. It'd be a good day for football game. You bet. Of course, two weeks from now, it might be 93. You never <laughs> know. Get those uh, late August games when uh, the Wyoming Cowboys come to town for that. And college football will be officially underway. There's another... Uh, game that day involving Big Ten teams, Northwestern and Nebraska over in Dublin. It's an 11 o'clock game, huh? 11.30 our time, I believe. Early evening game over there, huh? Yep, Nebraska, as you might guess, is favored in that ball game. We don't know what to think about Northwestern. They go or from Nebraska. One, well, that's, well, that's <laughs> right. But, I mean, Northwestern's up one year and down the next. I mean, it's kind of hard to figure because they've won that. It's hard to imagine they've won the Western Division twice here in the last few years. Nebraska is a 12-and-a-half-point favorite mm-hmm. in that ball game. It does start at 11.30 our time. You know, I, I'm not up to date on the time difference, but I'd say that's uh, that's probably a 5.30, 6.30 kind of game over there, p.m. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think it's in the yep. morning. Illinois missed on that. Just uh, a one year off on the on getting to go to Dublin. Yeah, but you know what? I think in the big picture, that was okay, don't you? Mm-hmm. That's the way things turned out. I'm not sure I'd want to go now. Yeah, yeah. With so many uh, travel problems that are out there these days, 
such. Not much uh, Illinois basketball news to really talk about. Uh, the players well, the are gone. The basketball news this week, you know, was Clyde Turner passed away and Dick Mansiak passed away. Uh, right. Dick was a great coach at Manual that won that first uh, state championship when they won four in a row. And, of course, Clyde Turner, the great uh, Champaign uh, Central player who played for Lee Kabuti and took Illinois to third, uh, took uh, Champaign to third in the state that year. I missed seeing him as a high school player. That was before I came to town, but I do remember him playing at Minnesota. Yeah, and he then, was playing. With, they had a heck of a team up there. I, I remember running down that list of players they had. Ron Ron Brewer, of course, who's a great player from uh, Proviso East, that won the state championship by one point over them in the semifinals. By the way, and then they went on to win the, the game, the championship game. And they had Dave Winfield on that team at Minnesota. Corky Behagen and yeah. uh, Ron Behagen, Corky Taylor. And Winfield became a pretty good baseball player. He did, didn't he? <laughs> like a Hall of Fame baseball player. Yeah, he's a slugger. He was a great athlete. I didn't know uh, Clyde must have been in some kind of uh, health issue, but mm -hmm. uh, age 70. Yeah, I saw 70, and I also saw 71. I don't yeah. know which is correct, but right. that's what he was. And, uh, and of course, uh, that was the best team that uh, Central, Champaign Central has had in a long time. And I... I keep saying uh, it was Champaign Central. I mean, before that, at Champaign High School, they had some great teams, back, particularly back in the 40s when they won the state championship uh, with Ted Beach and that gang. And that was after Jesse Clements, and that was Cottrell and Beach and Harrison, those guys. And they, they were really good there for a while. They had three teams, I believe, in the state championship game. We mentioned Illinois basketball and not much going on there with uh, people getting in some vacation time and the players yeah. have gone home. Yeah, basketball, we're just going to have to wait a couple of weeks before we know anything anything new. Should be seeing that uh, basketball schedule at some point in its yeah. entirety. We know well, pretty we much who they're playing. We saw enough of the schedule, that, <laughs> the non-league thing. Boy, oh boy, they haven't got any. Syracuse is the only really quality game they have out of the first seven games. Indeed, and we'll we'll find out there's two Big Ten games to be plugged in in December there somewhere, and then we'll get the, uh, not the times necessarily, but we'll get the days of the week pretty soon uh, on the uh, the rest of the Big Ten schedule and when you're going to play those guys. So uh, that, that should be coming before too long. 10.05 here on Illini Pella Saturday Sports uh, Talk, and if you've been thinking about replacing your windows and or doors at your home, how about a visit to the Pella window showroom 1001 north country fair drive in champaign that's where mike mary and the folks reside and they've been helping homeowners and businesses for going on 50 years here in central illinois and they do things the right way you know there are a lot of things to consider when replacing windows or doors things like security comfort convenience well the Pella window store has many examples on the showroom floor in Many styles and price ranges as well. You'll find them all at uh, the Pella Window Store on North Country Fair Drive in Champaign. They're open Monday through Friday, 8 to 4, Saturday by appointment. And you can check them out online as well, PellaOfChampagne.com. Now, if you're thinking about a project that would involve windows or doors, give yourself some lead time because of some of the... Uh, supply shortages and travel issues around uh, the country and the world. Just uh, take plenty of time, give yourself some lead time, and visit with the pros at the Pella Window Store on North Country Fair Drive in Champaign. 
Let's move it up on 10.06. Let's take a quick timeout, and we'll be back with more. We do have the phone line open. Phone lines open. If you'd like to join us, 217-356-9397, and we're back after this. Eight minutes after 10 o'clock on this edition of an Pella Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate, Steve Kelly with you. Illinois football fans, what do you think is going to happen this season? 217-356-9397. You got some high hopes for this team? Any idea what uh, the record might be? Do you have them going to a bowl game? A lot of questions to uh, to be answered once the season starts, but if you have any thoughts, feel free to jump in here with us on uh, this open line, 217-356-9397. Well, everybody wants to know the number of wins, and the, and the first thing you run into when you get into that is how good are the teams you're playing, and we happen to be hitting a season in which Michigan State's coming off a tremendous year, and in which, uh, you know, they they were just way better than they had been in previous uh, pre- previous couple of years. And then Purdue won nine games, even though the Illinois game was a really tight, what was it, 13 to 9 game. Mm-hmm. And Illinois led right into the final moment, minutes of the game and then got the ball back after falling behind and walked, went all the way down to the 20-yard line, had first and 10 down there and couldn't make a first down even. But uh, nevertheless, it was close. And I'll still see uh, – I still see – Ford breaking open for that for a touchdown pass and and uh, and uh, Peters threw behind him and it you know it, it was that close I mean it could have been sure I mean it, it was a miss and and Illinois missed too many times but that was a game Illinois could have won it would have changed a lot of things I think and it certainly uh, would have put Illinois in position to go to a bowl game when you're when you're five and seven but uh, the thing that that um, affects me now and it's really hard to judge because. After seeing some of these players and seeing the coaches talk about them, you get a, you get a, a maybe a, a, a little more of a positive feeling than you would have if you, if you didn't hear what the, what they say and what and, and and the players and see how much they've gained either physically or you know in maturity or or whatever. And there are guys, so naturally we're uh, we're favoring favoring them. But the, I when when. Uh, when I was when I was told I was mentioned earlier that that, that the over under is five point five. I think that's way high. I think it's more like four point five. I think it is nationally. That's what the, the those people that pay attention to that kind of stuff have it out there, and they have Illinois finishing sixth in the mm-hmm. West, yeah, ahead of only Northwestern. Mm-hmm. But that's why you play the games. But I always found that I never learned a whole lot in spring ball. And even fall we, practice. Because, we overrate them. Well, that <laughs> because well, when you when something, if you got to see practice back in the day when you did, but even if we don't see it, when one thing goes right, the other thing goes. The wrong, other thing right? goes wrong, and yeah, what sure. what was the biggest if concern? Complete, if they complete a touchdown pass, they, oh boy, yeah. right, we got a great quarterback. Yeah, no no cornerbacks. You just it's hard to tell when you're lining up against yourself. Yeah, and. You're very seldom lining up one against one mm-hmm. in practice. Very seldom, yeah. And you're not really going to the ground. As, uh, maybe they do a little more so than some coaches, but yeah, I I, I always remember that uh, Gary Moeller had a, an entirely different approach when he coached here, the late Gary Moeller. In that, he said you can't learn to tackle unless you tackle, 
And I, I always believe that. I think that if, when you don't tackle, you don't learn to tackle, and tackling is really important. <laughs> and you don't learn to break tackles as a runner if they're not tackling you. And you don't learn how to complete passes when you don't have a pass rush in your face. Right. I mean, all those things. And that's why they have to play the games to find out just how good people are. Yep. And those uh, games begin two weeks from today. Wyoming comes to town as about a 10-point underdog in that ball game, we have a text from uh, Eric, one of our listeners, who uh, he's predicting five wins. He says five wins is doable. Well, mm-hmm. that five, sure, five wins is doable. That's what they got last year, but the schedule's a, diff- a little bit different, as you said. Last year, you probably didn't have him winning at Penn State. In no. Nine, in nine overtimes. No, sir. I was looking back at you my— You didn't have him winning in Minnesota either. Right. Yeah, because Minnesota won nine games. Yeah, and and Illinois dominated that game, led fourteen to nothing late, won fourteen to six. I think that was the final score, wasn't it? Fourteen six or seven, and it uh, it was a game where Illinois deserved to win. They had two early touchdowns and just kind of hung on and and prevailed the rest of the way. And really, the the passing game of Minnesota didn't phase them. Yeah, the start of the Big Ten, after you get past the Indiana game, which is the first Big Ten game, even though it's just the second game of the season, it starts out and continues, actually, at Wisconsin, Iowa here. I'm talking when the Big Ten season gets into yeah. full swing. Well, I, I want to go back to Virginia a little bit. Because sure. there, Virginia is two teams. Virginia killed Illinois here, 42-14, to 14, I believe it was. And mm-hmm. they got a great quarterback in Brennan. But... Brennan Armstrong, that uh-huh. is. But they lost six games by an average margin. I might get this wrong. Their average margin of defeat was 16 points. That's a lot. I mean, they they were, I don't want to say blown out, but they were decisively defeated in a number of games, including the very next game after they played Illinois. They played North Carolina and got beat. So I think Virginia's beatable. <laughs> Even though they killed Illinois at home last year, now they're coming here. Illinois becoming will have a little time, extra time, uh, since the Indiana games on a Friday night. And by the way, the Friday night bothers me. Uh, just the fact it's a Friday night in Indiana that gives them a little edge. I don't know why. Why do you think that way? Why do I think that way? I don't know why you do, but I do too. <laughs> <laughs> It's an unusual circumstance. It's it a is. night game. It's their I, first I, game. Bielman's never coached a night game. That's what he said. Really? Yeah. You never coach a night game. Not that that changes anything, no. really. I mean, it changes your day a little bit, but okay. I mean, you know, it's the same for both teams except they're home. Indiana's, uh, you know, it's a we, – we've played Indiana one time since 2013. Uh, we haven't been playing them. We should be playing them every year. Indiana and Illinois should play every year. Illinois and Iowa should be played in every year. But Iowa doesn't consider Illinois one of its uh, natural rivals. They consider Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Nebraska their natural rivals. Right. Not Illinois. Illinois, I think, considers Iowa our natural rival, don't we? Wouldn't you think? More, uh, um, Iowa, Purdue, Northwestern, Indiana, which? Those four. Yeah. If you had to come up with three, what would you say? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe I would drop. You only, you only get three. Well, they're not going to let us. They're not going to let Illinois play Purdue, Indiana, and Northwestern because that wouldn't be fair in terms of the balance of of power. I mean that 
you, you're not going to get a play. You're not going to have Illinois play those three and then have Ohio State play Penn State, Michigan State, and Michigan. That's not fair. But how do you make a fair schedule? <laughs> I just think it's impossible. And if they go into this pods thing where you would have three natural rivals, and, that, and we're talking two years from now, mm-hmm. um, I don't know how you do it and make it fair. I just don't know. Because if you do it geographically, uh, all the geographical talent is in the East. I mean, I know Wisconsin and I were good, but they're not as good as Penn State and, and Ohio State and Michigan normally. Well, maybe short of going back to the leaders and legends yeah. <laughs> or some concept like that, you've uh, geography certainly... Well, there'll be a lot of thought put into this, Steve, and I, I don't know what conclusions they're going to come to, but it's not going to be satisfactory to anybody. It can't be. Somebody, you know, most people are going to be unhappy when when it's settled. When you look, start looking at say, if each Big Ten team gets three natural rivals, you, you kind of know who you would, who Illinois would say. But does that does it have to be mutually acceptable? In other words, well, somebody in a Big Ten office does it have to be a trophy game or something yeah, like that. Well, that's yeah. part of the deal, I guess. Yeah. It's not important to me. I right. don't care where they got a. I mean, Ohio State-Illinois is a trophy game. Yeah, but... But you wouldn't consider that a natural rival. Whoever gets Ohio State is going to be at a disadvantage. (laughs) Look, Wisconsin and Iowa both play Ohio State this year. That means probably they've got a loss on their, their, uh, you know, before they start. It's almost impossible to beat Ohio State. I mean, it can be done, but it's really hard when they have such an advantage in talent. Not you, not you can't pull an upset, but gee, many Christmas. You know, they're a, Ohio State's a 15-and-a-half-point favorite now over Notre Dame. That's ridiculous. And th- those are both top 10 teams preseason. Just think about that. Two touchdowns. That's incredible. Plus. Yeah, plus. Oh. I, you know, and uh, this Notre Dame's, you know, that just, I think that probably knocks Notre Dame right out of the playoffs right there. If they lose by by fifteen or more, right? I don't see how you how, how they could get, even if they won all the rest of their games. Can they get back in? I guess by beating Clemson and USC, those are big games for them. And they got Clemson this year. They don't have Clemson every year, but they they play five ACC teams every year, and they got Clemson this year. So they probably won't have them in the future for a while. On the other hand, if they pull the upset. Does that knock Ohio State out? Not totally, well, because they got a shot at Michigan later on. Well, and, and they got a playoff game, and 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 the the, dis, the the disadvantage Notre Dame has is they don't have a playoff game. Right. Let's go to the phones. Eric is with us in Champaign. Go ahead, Eric. Hey guys, uh, Warren, did you say that Brett Bielma said he never coached a night game before? I thought that's what he said in, in at a press conference that we had the other day. Yeah, UTSA was a night game last year, so he, he must he must have a short term memory problem. I mean, maybe he meant on the road. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Okay, that's fine. You know, I was thinking. You know, the, these early season rankings—they're really silly. You know, like like last year, I think Indiana was like they were like fifth or eighth or something silly. Well, like that. you got to remember Iowa. they beat Penn State the year before. They had a good year. They, they that were... was a, that was a total fluke. You remember that game, right? They actually lost that game. Well, I mean, the guy dove for the for the pylon. I mean, I don't I don't yeah. think it was a fluke. I mean, they could have called well, it no tip. The ground. I yeah, know the ground it was six first, inches yeah. before it might have hit the ground, or three yeah. inches before. Yeah, 
but they, they played yeah, they good football. Play. They played solid, good football that year. Yeah. And uh, they didn't play good, solid football last year. Well, I just think with with the ranking, I need to start throwing those things out the window because, like, they had Iowa ranked number two last year. Yeah, that was hardly a, a number two team. <laughs> um, look at the look at the spreads. That's all you need to know. That's that those guys know who the the teams are. I mean, they don't do that for to lose money. So that's that's the way I kind of look at it. So well, I, I will tell you this: I when you put when you rank Liberty and you rank. Uh, Northern Illinois, Coastal and you Carolina. rank Toledo over Illinois, which is what they're doing. If mm-hmm. you rank Louisiana over Illinois, UAB over Illinois this year, I think that's wrong. I think Illinois is better than those teams. I just can't – you can't convince me that Illinois isn't better than those teams. And that's based yeah. on what I saw the last two-thirds of last season. Once they settled in defensively, they, Illinois was a pretty solid team. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to I know the, that week zero game was uh, supposed to be – well, last year was supposed to be against Nebraska and, Iowa, and Ireland, right? And then they're playing this year against Northwestern. So yeah. they kind of got – yeah, they thought they were getting the, the attention this year, but I think that game will get the attention – well, the national attention anyway. Sure it will. I mean, it's the only game in town. It's the only 11 o'clock game, right, on, the, on right, week right. zero. Well, the actual game I'm looking forward to, people have I started looking ahead was the Penn State at uh, Purdue, uh, the the Thursday night game before the the day before Illinois plays at Indiana. That ought to be good. Mm-hmm. But yeah. um, the last thing, last thing I was going to say, in, Indiana ought to bust their team over here on on uh, that Saturday to, to be in person for that game. Why, why watch it on film, right? <laughs> Tickets are available. There you go. Anyway, uh, you guys have a good show. Thanks a lot. Yep, appreciate the call, Eric. Thank you. 217-356-9397 is the phone number. Where was, uh, do you remember, offhand, where was Virginia ranked in that? Well. Or Chattanooga. Virginia, uh, Chattanooga wasn't ranked because they're not one of the top, they're not one of the 131 schools. Mm -hmm. Um I can give you some rankings. Uh, This is CBS poll. Michigan State was ranked number 20. Iowa was 28. Minnesota, 32. Purdue, 34. This is one where Illinois is ranked 82. So uh, Virginia is ranked 59. Virginia is not ranked very high. Now, of course, Illinois just completely dropped out of sight here. You've only got 65 schools in Power 5. And Illinois is ranked 82nd, which means they're 17 positions below the top 65 schools. I mean, is that really true? Are we really worse than NIU? What about Wyoming? Was it on there? Oh, Wyoming's at 94. Okay. They're way down out of the 131. But the, the, the moccasins from Chattanooga are in FCS, which is not in the same, you know, they're not in, among the FBS. That's the Bulls. Super subdivision mm-hmm. uh, 131. So Illinois should beat Chattanooga. Illinois should beat Wyoming. But I consider this an insult. I consider the CBS poll an insult to Illinois. Illinois did win five games last year. They've, they've shown that they're capable of competing against some good teams. I'm not saying that, you know, I, I think they're going to be real competitive in all these games. I, I think the games will be close. I don't think. Illinois is going to be run out of the place, although playing against Michigan is not going to be fun. Nope. And even the Iowa game last year, if you remember, Illinois had the lead before that kick return, that punt return, and, and Illinois 
fought them pretty hard. I mean, Iowa deserved to win, yeah. But Illinois, uh, I think it was really competitive. Has Illinois really lost that much with the, with the veterans that uh, that aren't back this year? Um, I don't see this team much different from last year. I think it's comparable, don't you? Yeah, I do. And as you mentioned, they're only were one game away from going to a bowl game. And I think about that Maryland game, which also, by the way, was a night game. Um, yeah. Uh, a game that they could have won. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember the, the the San Antonio game as bad as we played in that game. As bad as we driving late, we drove yeah. late, and there was a pass completion to I think it was Washington, but correct me if I'm wrong on that. Where his foot was like six inches beyond the end line, he caught the ball, would have been a touchdown, and Illinois would have had a chance to tie the game at the very very end of the game, the very end. And like I say, his foot was just barely beyond the end line. Yeah, I do remember that. And uh, that that uh, was a good game. But Illinois had a chance to. They were down by eight and mm-hmm. would have had to get a touchdown yep. and, and yep. a two-point conversion. Right. But uh, it was there. I was going to say earlier uh, in that Penn State, I was going through some notes uh, this week. And I I save all my formats and s- stuff from the pregame, halftime, postgame shows and uh, things like that. But I came across the uh, – Penn State game, my post game page that I used there, and and to try to read that, <laughs> when, when I was you know tracking each overtime, who did what and everything, it, it was uh, yeah. I had to add some pages to that one. <laughs> when, I, when I do the line score of yeah. first quarter, second quarter, yeah. yeah, seven overtime, eight overtime, nine overtime. That's an incredible game. Probably not going to see that again. Somebody will say, well, Illinois was lucky to, to well, win sure, the game. Well, sure, they were. They were. And, and uh, Illinois was unlucky to lose some other games. So, you know, it just it works out. That's why I feel like I think Illinois has got three uh, likely wins uh, going in. And then I think they've got a whole bunch of games that are going to be very close and could go either way. How will they, how will they be in the fourth quarter? How will DeVito play under pressure? How, will DeVito stay healthy? If he if he's not healthy, can Sitkowski come in and play better than he did last year? Uh, they've got to. Uh, we've talked about this before. They've got to ha- upgrade their passing because if you are down around fifty percent, that just doesn't cut it. You've got to bring bring that up, and in order to because the running game is going to be sound. I know the running game is going to be good, but you just can't run every play because the other the defense is going to be set to stop a run on every play. Of the first four games, Wyoming at Indiana, Virginia, and Chattanooga at home. Mm-hmm. How do you have those pegged? What do you? Th- well, I, I told you I, I'm I'm a, I'm afraid that I'm doing the, the same thing that I said before. I just think that the Indiana and Virginia games are going to be toss-ups. Right. I don't know who's going to win. I just think that Illinois is going to be right in the thick of it. I think they got a really good chance to beat Indiana. I think they got a really good chance to beat Virginia. But by the same token, if, if I if I was going to, those are coin flips to me. They are coin flips. The problem is you don't want the the, the coin to fall on the, right. the wrong side every time. They're coin flips, but Illinois will probably be the underdog in those two games. Well, not in it, my not in my mind. Well, I'm talking about Vegas when they mm-hmm. they do all yeah. that. No, you're do. right. No, they're under. They'll be underdogs, but they'll be favored I, I against Wyoming see. and Chattanooga. Yeah, obviously, and then they may not be favored yeah. again until Northwestern. That's right. That's correct. Yeah, they'll be favored in three games all year. Although, if you did beat Indiana, that might change the Virginia spread. If you beat Virginia, that might, you know, as you go along, if if Illinois could show something, 
that would change the odds on games later on. That's why you've always been, ever since I've known you, you've always been a fan of not having any college football or basketball readings until <laughs> midseason. Well, you shouldn't, but, but, but you know, it's, what, what would we have to argue and discuss? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. If we didn't have it, but no, they don't mean anything. I mean, if I don't, I don't take serious. I, I said that, that the, this 82 is an insult to Illinois in the, in the CBS poll. I think that's ridiculous. But I, I think Illinois is better, and I think they proved it themselves better. But, again, that's only one season. And maybe, as uh, it's been pointed out, maybe losing 30 guys, uh, you know, uh, and some, many of whom played extensively, maybe, that's, that maybe they can't be replaced. One uh, texter said, comparable team as last year, better offense and quarterback play, in his mind, equals yeah. six to seven wins, in his mind. Well, Again, those games. And he says they'll win three of the first four. Marcus texting in. Okay. Okay. That would be good. That would be good for many things, yeah, including I, I, uh, getting fans in the stands. Yeah. I, Illinois has got to win some home games. You've got to win for your home crowd. You can't lo- Illinois won two terrific games last year against Nebraska and Minnesota. They're both on the road. Illinois has, and now if you go back several years, we beat Michigan State and Wisconsin at home. And big wins. Nebraska you know, was here, by the way. Last year. Yeah. Yeah, but I, but I'm, I'm just saying that the two big wins that later on in the season. Yeah, Nebraska was a big win yeah. at home. Oh, you said Nebraska. Who, who did you mean? You said. I'm sorry. We, we beat Minnesota. Yeah. And. Uh, Penn State. Penn State. You said Nebraska. On the road. Good. Oh, yeah. I, I did. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, but. Um, I hope that's the only mistake I made it, this minute. It won't be. I've <laughs> got another 45 we, seconds. We, we've been around long enough to, <laughs> to No, I, to no know. I, I, just, uh, I, just, uh, I just think that if you look at the home performance over time, other than the big Wisconsin win, other than the impossible rally against Michigan State, which were, that was back in 2019, if you look over a number of years, the home success has not been what it should be. Right. 10.30, need to take a break. We'll do that and be back with more Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk after this. It is 10.32. This is Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Steve Kelly, Lauren Tate. Chugging along here until 11 o'clock. Talked quite a bit of college football. Going to move into some Major League Baseball. Going down to St. Louis, KMOX Radio. Tom Ackerman. Good morning, Tom. How are you? What's going on, gentlemen? How are you? We're just chugging along, talking some baseball now with you. Cardinals get a win last night over uh, Milwaukee to increase uh, their lead in the division to a game and a half. And uh, things are looking pretty good for St. Louis right now. Still a long way to go yet. But uh, I don't know if this is a crucial series, but anytime you're playing the team that's right above or right below you um, in August or September, it's a big one. It is a big one. These teams are so close, too. I mean, the Cardinals now lead the season series 7-6. Uh, they have split uh, series. They have uh, remained very, very close in terms of runs scored and all of those kinds of things. So it's a very tight, uh, even race here down the stretch. But I do think it's a very important series. It's not the end of the world uh, if you lose the series. But it is very important to gain some sort of advantage uh one of these teams had an opportunity to gain an advantage and now that team is the cardinals they've won one game in this series so the brewers can't sweep cardinals can 
the Cardinals could go up two and a half with a win today. They could go up three and a half if they win both of these games Saturday, Sunday. So that's a pretty sizable advantage. And then that could eventually hurt the Brewers further and put them into a wild card battle with a Padres team, by the way, that has now lost Fernando Tazis Jr. I mean, this is just one twist and turn after the other here in this baseball season. Uh, but yeah, I think it's big. I, I think that the Cardinals sweep of the Cubs and Yankees was big. I thought that losing two out of three of the Rockies was unfortunate, but I think as we all know, Coors Field is crazy and crazy things happen. And I don't know that you can judge your team based on losing two out of three there, but Milwaukee is definitely a barometer series for them to see what kind of a team they have. And the early uh, dead, uh, trade deadline returns as far as St. Louis goes, for the most part, seem to be working out well. I think it's been a very good early return for them. Uh, I know that everybody was wrapped up in the Juan Soto story, and, and I totally understand that. But I think that most people understood that you had to manage your expectations on that. The Cardinals historically don't make mega deals like that. They do their deals in the off season to get Goldschmidt and Arenado uh, and other deals. They typically don't go crazy at the deadline and give all their prospects away in desperation. Now, the Padres do, and that's what the Padres like to do. When they got Josh Hader and didn't give away prospects that they could have included in the Soto deal, I kind of knew the Cardinals were going to lose out to San Diego. And... Um, the Cardinals were smart. I mean, they set out to do exactly what they wanted to do. They got starting pitching help. They repaired their rotation. And these are two very good ones in Quintana and Montgomery so far, two consistent ground ball pitchers. They had to go do that. And quite honestly, let's say the Cardinals did land Juan Soto somehow. Are they a World Series contender with the rotation that they would have had without Quintana and Montgomery? I'm not so sure. I mean, they don't have – if you don't have starting pitching, you're just not going to win. And so they had to figure out a way to do that, and I believe they have. And then the other factor, as good as Quintana and Montgomery have been, and they have been, is the fact that Yadier Molina is behind the plate for this baseball team. They're 8-2 and two since the deadline, but also 8-2 and two since Yadi walked into that clubhouse and said, I'm back. And it's a major factor. He has managed this staff extremely well. They rarely – if ever shake him off they'll go by anything that he calls i thought that last saturday a week ago today when he settled giovanni gallegos and refocused him and got him to close out the game and we might have to do that tonight uh, after helsley went to yesterday uh gallegos uh got the job done against the yankees that was yachty at his best mm-hmm. so it has been a very nice turn of events here for this club with as you noted a long way to go uh, tell us about Flaherty. Uh, he's pitched in the minors now. Uh, what'd you see? And would you see with uh, Wayno and, and Miklas in, in the rotation? Certainly is Hudson, uh, in danger. I think that Hudson did fine in his last start. I do think that he's on a bit of, um, how would I call it? A bit of notice because, you know, he's going to have to walk less. And there's a very good pitcher right behind him in Andre Pallante, who pitched a couple of weeks ago uh, eight scoreless innings. I mean, so he's capable of starting. Now, is Pallante, his innings load was on pace to be something he had never done in his career. So could you count on Pallante in October? I'm not really sure, but I'm not sure that you would have to anyway. because You probably are not starting Hudson 
or Palante if you get to October. You're starting Wainwright, Michaelis, um, and now Quintana and, and Montgomery, some combination of those four. Uh, the fifth starter, yes. I mean, I think that it's something to watch, uh, but Hudson has been a, a promising pitcher that just kind of got off track to what he should and and is best at doing, which is throw the sinker low in the zone and get ground ball outs. When he starts walking people, when anyone starts issuing walks, it just leads to trouble. But, you know, I think his last start was a better sign. And then for Flaherty, so Jack pitched in the minors recently. He gave up on Thursday a three-run homer. He gave up four total in one inning. So if you looked at the box score, you're like, oh, no. I mean, what is going on? I think really they just want to see, can you pitch? Can you throw the ball over the plate? Can you throw different pitches for strikes? And how do you feel the next day? And how he felt yesterday was good. So that that's exactly what they want. They want to see – progression in terms of his health i would not count on jack flaherty to be starting in the playoffs or anything like that but i think that there's a chance that he could come back and be effective for this team that's the hope anyway is that flaherty's okay tom ackerman is our guest from kmox in st louis there's a young man down in uh, north carolina that's been sitting by his phone all morning waiting for <laughs> tom ackerman to come on his name is marty go I ahead marty hey uh, hey yeah, as soon as I heard Tom was on, I had to hold my fire on some other things. Um, Tom, I want you to remember this. Heavy is the head that wears the crown of the Big Ten preseason favorite in basketball. Just keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah, well, have they, have they officially announced that preseason favorite yet? <laughs> oh, I think, every, I think everybody says, yeah, I think Indiana's the target. Anyway. Well, I'll take that as a outside, They'll be good. Yeah, I'll take that as a compliment. You're exactly right. You're right on the money. If they can shoot the ball, I think they'll be okay. I think everything else looks pretty good for this team. We just need some shooters. Um, I, I think we dodged a bullet in not getting Soto. Um, pitching was what we needed. And number two, giving up six prospects, maybe a couple or four prospects and a couple off the major league roster would have decimated future opportunities, I think. I think they came out rosy by not giving up anyone they really needed over the next couple three years to get the two pitchers they got plus the reliever now here's i agree question. i don't think I, I love the big two in the middle of the lineup they're doing their job i like lloyd de young's comeback that's a plus but i'm a little concerned that if they don't get o'neill and carlson and edmund hitting again like they're capable of even if they make the playoffs, very short stint. Um, because we don't have power pitching. We have good pitching now, but not power pitching. So what do you think along the – are those three guys going to pick it up a little bit, especially O'Neal? Yeah, I think that's really important. So it's a good point. And last night, uh, Ollie Marmel shook up the lineup a little bit by putting O'Neal second. Uh, he did not have a hit last night. He was 0 for 3, but he did walk, which is a good sign. Uh, Carlson did have a hit and scored a run and walked. And, you know, when you have Paul Goldschmidt in the lineup and Nolan Arenado in the lineup, the odds are pretty good. You get on base, you're going to score. Carlson did that early, He got on base, and then he scored on a bomb by Goldschmidt in the first inning. So, yes, I totally agree. I think that if you look at this lineup, and it's fine. I mean, it's good. DeYoung's had a nice comeback. You know, Yachty's going to do something every now and then. Newt Bar's fun to watch. Edmonds, Edmonds. I mean, he's solid. They don't really have to worry about him. Same with Donovan. 
Um, you know, Pujols will occasionally have a, a nice game. He's had some really nice moments for them and I think has contributed. Um, and, and I mentioned Carlson, who's a solid player and it's just going to get better every year. But, you know, let's face it, if they don't have the guy who finished eighth in the MVP voting last year, Tyler O'Neill, hitting uh, and taking a little bit of pressure off of Goldschmidt and Arenado, they're not going to advance to the World Series. That They are a good team with excellent defense, and I think very capable pitching. They're a run prevention team, but they also have some big-time hammers in the lineup in Goldie and Arenado, and they need one more in the middle of that order to do it. And that guy is Tyler O'Neill. And, you know, the problem has been he has not been able to stay healthy for a long stretch of time. And now that they finally do, I'll tell you another guy that could be a factor here is Juan Yepes. Uh, you know, Yepes was very good for them, um, but he's been out for a while now. I, you know, he's been out for a month. So it, it, it's important, I think, for them to get those two right-handed hitters, O'Neill and Yepes, going. It's hard to ask a, a rookie to do it. He tailed off yep. a little. Was it because of his injury, or was it just he just the league kind of ad- adapted to him a little bit? Um, I think that just uh, you know they're starting to find his cold zones. They know where to where to pitch him. Yeah. Uh, that's certainly the case. But you know, one thing that he, I think he's very advanced for his age and where he is in his career is he's a very he has very good plate discipline i feel yes, and that's always going to play well to uh, for him uh he he does a very nice job of commanding um you know of covering the plate i should say and then you know for o'neill that is what he needed to be you know o'neill is a streaky hitter that can hit the ball a mile but what is his pitch recognition? And that got way better last year. He was outstanding last year, really, um, from one year to the next. So a healthy Tyler O'Neill, you just want to see more of that. And he has other things that he does well. He's a very capable gold glove left fielder, yeah. and he, he runs the base as well. He's probably the fastest player on this team. So, yeah, that, now, I, I think they need Tyler O'Neill healthy. Now the other thing is Gorman has hit a couple home runs to left field in, in the last week. Is is that a sign that he's coming around a little bit, um, and that he will be a fact? Yeah, good sign. He needs to cut down on strikeouts, uh, and and Nolan yeah. is again another player who I think you're going to be paying attention to here for many years. That the Cardinals probably got some calls about, and they have no interest in letting him go because. You know, you look at some of the players through the years that come up from the minors, and and you get a good feel for who they are and what they could be. The Cardinals have done a very nice job of developing players. Gorman has a special something about him. You know, it's very rare that a player just comes walking into the major leagues and hits 420-foot shots every time he's at the plate. Or every time he hits one out, they go a mile. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that him going to left a little bit more, just being able, again, plate coverage, figuring out what's best in certain situations against pitching, and make himself into a better hitter. You know, the the what I heard from a lot of scouts and and also uh, you know just people who are around the minor leagues said when Gorman comes up, what you're going to find is he's not just a power hitter; he's a hitter. Period. And you know we're, we've seen signs of that. He's a very good learner. I think he's handled that second base position extremely well, way better than anybody oh. thought he would. So I, he's a really nice player. Hey Marty, appreciate uh, the call. Let's uh, move along here with Tom Ackerman. Tom, as far as the leadoff spot for the Cardinals, what uh, what do you suggest there? Nobody's really getting the job done there. 
No, it's got to be whoever has the best on-base percentage in my book. And, you know, they're going to keep looking at that. I think that Carlson owns that here for a while, and I'm not sure he's going to give that up anytime soon. I think they really like him there. Um, I don't see anybody else taking that job except Tommy Edmonds. That's it. I I don't think Newt Barr will get it. I I think that if Tommy goes on one of his late-season runs, perhaps he could be back at the top of the order. But it's probably going to be Carlson. But, yeah, it's very important. I mean, you've got to get on base, again, for the big dogs, uh, Goldie and Arenado, and hopefully O'Neal can join that group at some point as someone that uh, gets the other side's attention. But, you know, the table setters have got to be there. I think that Carlson is the favorite for that moving forward. By the way, we ought to bring up attendance. It's just been they've been wild here ever since the Cubs and, and the Yankees series. I mean, at 48,000, man, oh, man. This is uh, enthusiasm is really high, isn't it? Yeah, and they had just under forty six thousand last night. They'll have another huge crowd tonight. Saturday tends to be the biggest night. Everybody comes into town for the weekend. Yeah, I, I can just picture it right now. People in their cars, probably listening to us right now, heading down and getting ready for the ball game tonight. Beautiful weather. Just you know, spend the day in the city, and then you get a nice early evening ball game. I went to that game last Saturday against the Yankees. I I do this on occasion, so. Obviously, I have a credential to get into the ballpark, and you know, from a media standpoint, and, and as a as a one of the team's pregame and postgame broadcasters, I, I enjoy that. But occasionally, I like to sit in the seats, and I knew the game was completely sold out. I I actually <laughs> I actually went down to the ballpark, and about a half an hour before first pitch, I went online. I bought a ticket. I just bought a <laughs> single seat. I found one that I thought was pretty reasonably priced and I sat along the third baseline back a little bit in that lower section and this guy and his family sat next to me and he said this is a great ballpark my first time here I'm like oh yeah I'm like Yankee fan and he goes no actually I'm not my uncle is and he's with us but otherwise I live in Toledo Ohio and I just wanted to be here i just felt like the the cardinals don't play the yankees often i really enjoy baseball and so i brought my whole family down we drove seven hours down and i'm an ohio state fan uh, so that's my team but you know here we are and and it was just it was neat to see i think that that the cardinals are a destination for a lot of people and that was an example of it plus on top of all that the team is playing well but they have albert in his last year yachty in his last year Wayno, maybe, maybe not. I'm starting to doubt it. I think he might come back again. Uh, but, you know, you've got Goldie and Arenado. This is the uh, a special moment in time where you have all these players playing together. And I think people have recognized that, too. But yeah, they had 48,581 last Saturday against the Yankees. It's the largest crowd in Bush Stadium 3 history, more than the World Series, more than the All-Star Game. They probably added some all-inclusive and sweet areas to bump that number up a little bit, but it is what it is. I mean, they, they sold that many tickets for a ball game. That's pretty impressive. Should the Cardinals be overly concerned about Michaelis with that uh, last outing in Colorado? I get the fact that it was in Colorado. A lot of strange things happened there, but it almost looked like, you know, maybe they were seeing stuff. Maybe he was tipping his pitches or whatever. Yeah, I really don't think that they should be concerned about that at all, nor should he be. I think it was just one of those days where they jumped all over him. Maybe they saw something, Steve. Maybe they did. But it is Coors. 
He gave up 10 runs on 14 hits. He said after the game, he said, I'll be honest with you, those 14 hits, four of them were hit hard, and the other 10 probably just found a way through. That's how he felt. And if that's the case, if that's how he feels, then I'll just chalk it up to whatever. He's a strike thrower. He's not going to change. He'll throw, tries to hit a spot. Um, He's not a swing and miss pitcher necessarily, although he can do that. He can rack up strikeouts, but he's more of a – pitch to contact guy i would not worry about that at all now he's pitching tomorrow if it it lined up a little bit differently i wouldn't mind seeing quintana against the brewers quintana lifetime is nine and four with a 2.95 era against the brewers he owns milwaukee so he's kind of hoping he'd he'd be pitching uh, in this series but you got wainwright going tonight and michaelis going tomorrow and how happy are you that Hader is not going to be in the ninth inning of a close game? I'm thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> I'm absolutely thrilled. Yeah, I've had enough of that guy. Right. Uh, and so is everybody else. He was he was extra tough. But you know, they still have the St. Louis kid, Devin Williams. They still have uh, a good bullpen. You know, it's a very good Milwaukee team. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, but I do believe the Cardinals are a better team. In fact, I think the Cardinals are better than their record just overall i think that 12 games above 500 which is still tied for the highest mark they've had all year but i just i think they're better than a 62 and 50 team and they're in first place in the nl central it's probably going to come down to the wire and maybe health has had something to do with that they've lost some players but they've picked up two big starters i think stabilizing the rotation historically for them has been a plus when they do that they're just a much better club so i I hope to see it Let's change gears a little bit real quick. Another couple of minutes with Tom Ackerman. You're an Indiana graduate. You're a, a Big Ten guy, even though you're working in St. Louis. What are your thoughts with the uh, expansion news of uh, three or four weeks ago and how it might affect the Big Ten in the future? Were you surprised by USC and UCLA? I was. I was surprised by that. Um, you know, I, I felt like, that I, you know, I guess the power conferences are starting to come together here, and and we're looking at what the future of college football and of college sports are going to be. Um, not that they're coming together, but you know they're changing hands, and we're starting to see these the power five shift. But just from a Big Ten standpoint, I, I do welcome it. I think that it's a good thing. Let's say for my alma mater, Indiana, and for Illinois for that matter, it's a good chance to get out on the West Coast and take some of those players when you're recruiting. I mean, that, I think Ohio State and Michigan, um, and to some extent Penn State, dominate in football when it comes to recruiting nationally. But now, you know, the, these these schools from the Midwest are out on the West Coast, and, and Ohio State and Michigan are going to have to deal with USC and UCLA coming in and trying to raid some of those five stars. From my standpoint as an Indiana football fan, I don't really have to worry about that. Indiana's not usually up for five-star recruits. We're going after you know threes and sometimes fours. So it's a chance to go out on the West Coast, expand your recruiting base, and go get some of those players and expose your brand to those players but i think overall it's for the big 10 i do think it's healthy to be as strong as you can to get as much tv exposure as you can i do not see it as a bad thing whatsoever on the basketball side i look forward to a classic indiana ucla i think that'd be pretty awesome uh, to see see the guys over at uh folly pavilion but uh it'll, it, it should be fun it should be fun and, and i i i 
will have to force myself to go to Southern California to watch some games? <laughs> sure. <laughs> no problem. Hey, Tom, good stuff. Always good to catch up with you, and uh, we'll do it again down the line. Absolutely. And how about this? We're a few weeks away from uh, the opener, uh, for Indiana at least. I yeah. know Illinois has a game before that, but uh, to see those two in the Big Ten uh, going at it on a Friday night should be fun. Yep, that'll be in Bloomington coming up in uh, week one after Illinois plays Wyoming in week zero, which is two weeks from today. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. Hey, appreciate it very much. You guys have a great one. You too. Tom Ackerman, KMOX in St. Louis, moving up on 1054, a break, and back after this. Mike Mary and his team at the Pella Window and Door Store want to thank you for what's been an incredible year so far. Looking for the right window and door for your next project from replacement, remodeling, or new construction? Go see them now. If you got a project later this year or into 2022, now is the time to start the conversation. The Pella Window and Door Store, easy to find, 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign, or visit them online PellaofChampagne.com. A couple of minutes left here on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Don't forget, if you're an Illinois football fan, there's an opportunity for you to get some pictures and meet some of the players and coaches tomorrow, August 14th, 5.30 to 6.30 at Memorial Stadium. No admission charge. Autographs, inflatables, games, and much more. And then there's a movie night at 7 o'clock. That's tomorrow, Family Day at Memorial Stadium. Today is Football Media Day. Better take your roster with you so you yep. know who's who. I got it. Because if you see, you know, you know this over the years, if you see a football player sometime without his uniform jersey on, it's tough to tell who it is because... Otherwise, they've got a helmet on, and they're in street clothes. You're right. Basketball, you're a little closer to them. You get to to see them a little bit. But uh, all the players will be available today, and then we're two weeks out from that first game. Mr. Tate, appreciate it. All right. That will take care of the show. Thanks to our guests this morning, Tom Ackerman, Doug Bouchon, and Joey Kaufman from uh, Columbus. Thanks to Dave Leak for helping us out on the side there, and we'll talk to you again next week on WDWS 93.9 FM, Champagne. This is Steve Kelly. Have a good weekend, everybody.